0: And then we kind of see where that goes and if at any point you want to like you know stop and pause and pause the recording and then discuss what to talk about next we could do that as well because we have that we okay. have that power here we have that technology
1: well, are we using some kind of um like physical recording uh film or tape of some kind because we could we don't always have to press pause we could just- this
0: is actually all digital um
1: I, I could do more I, like I just feel like you don't have enough to do and maybe you would like to spend a lot of time editing
0: oh okay yeah well I sure um I usually I'll what happens usually what happens when I spend a lot of time editing is I um I don't edit it and then I just leave in everything <laughs> that was said uh which is a, a good um memory of some of That's the podcasts good- we did with Andrew Hill. So, uh, yeah
1: <laughs> I like it It's really bold Okay um, Yeah, let's just we, I, I like, uh, if, I, if I need to stop I'll come up with a safe word
0: Okay Do you want to define it beforehand or do you just want me to guess? I like it.
1: That's, that's how safe words safe words work that way, right? <laughs> like, yeah. You just say, say stuff, and they're like say oh, something okay.
0: that couldn't be anything besides a safe word.
1: Um, See, that's the problem because I could, yeah, pork chop sandwiches, but you'd actually think I was making you pork chop sandwiches. Yeah,
0: I'd be like, when am I? When when's, when's it showing up? Are you express shipping it? Like, um, so that probably wouldn't work. But okay. We'll, OK, well, I'll just I'll, I'll
1: try yeah. just saying let's pause.
0: Oh, a very creative use of a safe word. OK, sure. We can yeah. do that. OK, great. great. So um, so Molly's here. Here in Hi, Charles, in a digital presence, not so much in person because I'm sitting in my office by myself and she's in San Francisco, which is far away from here, but she's here in my head because I have earphones on. Um, so Welcome to the podcast. Thanks, Thanks for being here. Um
1: yeah. I- and I'm not I should uh point out that I'm not alone because my small cat is oh. with me. Yeah. What is the cat's name? She support Her name is Suki and she has been working really hard today. Every day I work from home, so every day uh I go to my office and she comes with me and lays in the chair next to me and supports me while I work. So okay. she's here. What, how does
0: she su- how does she supply her support?
1: So uh, the first thing is that she makes her presence known usually at the start of more important WebEx calls that I have with customers or with partners. Um, so she makes sure that everyone knows that she is a cat by mailing okay. repeatedly. Mm-hmm. Um, that's it's incredibly important. It's a, it's a critical part of her day that she really has to make sure she executes on well. And then um, she does a lot of napping. Uh, especially when I don't need her to be quiet. She just sort of lays there, uh, which is great. That sounds and, like a great uh, type of I've,
0: support yeah. for her to provide. It's
1: yeah. really nice. Yeah. I mean, she's there uh, to really just make sure that I'm focused and paying attention.
0: Okay, cool. Um, yeah. I, I, um, I too have some cat uh, working from home stories. Um, not so much mine, but with other people. Um, when I'm like on a call with someone, sometimes I, I notice that they have a cat. Uh, my favorite was when I was on, um, on a video call with a guy from JP Morgan. It was pretty high up there. And suddenly on the call, like this cat, like tail just started passing by the video camera. And all we could see was the tail just like walking back and forth. And, uh, and he was like, Oh, it looks like my CEO is here. Um, <laughs> so that was funny. Um, the
1: cat executive officer.
0: I guess. Yeah. I mean, it was definitely a cat and um, it was definitely in charge. So I, I think that's, right. that's probably what it was. <laughs> um, anyway, <laughs> yeah, that yeah, makes
1: sense. yeah the, she's definitely in charge. And it's much better now that I only have one cat because my previous when I had two, Steve was quite enthusiastic as well. Um, but he was more of an aggressive helper in which he wanted to actually lay on the keyboard and help type. Mm-hmm. So he typed a lot of a lot of really bold emails to people that I, I had to apologize for. Said, sorry, Steve was being Steve.
0: Oh, well, um, that sounds very difficult for you. Um,
1: <laughs> it, was, it, was hard. it was hard. Sorry about know.
0: Steve. Um, well, you're known, I mean, and you're known as the resident cat lady of Tableau. Um, but you're known for more than that as say well, that.
1: Yeah, um, but it didn't say that on the back of my chair for a while. There was a uh, sign that said, cat yeah. lady" that I wasn't aware of.
0: Agreed. Uh, you weren't aware of it and it was there. Um, <laughs> but I, I think people probably know about you like as, a, as the legend Molly Muncy because of the cat lady status, but I don't know if people know of you for other reasons, So I was hoping maybe for the first part of this podcast, we could talk about who you are and where you came from and why you started working at Tableau and just, you know, just the Molly story. How do you feel about that?
1: I I feel like covering the cat part was really...
0: That's going to take up a majority of our time, but maybe we could include some, you know, just general professional information as well.
1: Okay. So non-cat related. Okay. Got it. Um, So... Legend is a tough word. So I, I just want to make sure legend is applied to the cat related piece. Um, but let's see my journey before, before cat lady at Tableau, um, I was, well, actually right before Tableau, uh, I worked for bank of America, uh, for a while and I was in their accounting group. I actually uh-huh. found out about Tableau from my best friend, uh, Sarah Bedwell. Who is one of my favorite people in the world, Sarah Henselman Bedwell? Because there's a lot of, I'm sure a lot of customers um, listen to this podcast, and they may be confused as to which Sarah. So, but it's the same person, is what you're saying. I've never seen them in the same place. She got married. Okay, that's true. Yeah, she sort of disappeared to London and then came back. Sarah Bedwell. Okay yeah um but uh she knew that what i was doing at bank of america was more um it was accounting ish i mean i was basically doing loan analysis for reverse mortgages and i played in excel a lot um i say play because i actually really liked it i loved just sitting there and um, writing macros and learning more about how uh, i could make things more efficient and Collect data, and usually it was a lot of copy and paste work, a lot of lookups. Um, but it was it was really fun for me because it always resulted in uh, answers and clarity, and and also with accounting, you always want everything to balance to zero. So when I had that Excel, you know, sheet, like I had this whole network, and I would run all my calculations, and it said zero, it was just a, such a satisfying thing. Um, but Sarah knew that I. Was um, I, that I was wanting to do more? Um, accounting was never my my skill set. Um, it was just something that I had studied. Uh, but what I really wanted to do was more around interacting with people and teaching people. And even, I mean, when Sarah and I first met, so my job prior to to Bank of America, I worked for a company called Onvia. Charles, hmm, I think I've heard of it. Have you heard of Onvia?
0: Yeah, I don't think I've ever said the name of Envia on this podcast before, but I, I have wow. referred to it before as my previous employer.
1: Ah, sorry. It's also okay. pronounced Envia. I've never heard that. I don't either. know which one is right. Mm. I worked there for a while and I have no idea. Um but so I met Sarah at Envia, Envia, and I at that time I was a sales rep and but I was also doing a lot of training. I was one of the first non-managers to do training on our product and Sarah saw that I was really enthusiastic about um, sharing my knowledge and education whether it be from sales perspective or at one point I was building out a whole network of Excel spreadsheets as a sales rep at Onvia tracking all of my accounts and I Uh could answer at any given moment the question of how many accounts are going to renew this quarter or this month and who have I talked to and where do I, you know, where do I need to spend my time? I could answer it just by hitting refresh. And so she, uh, she encouraged me after taking a little bit of, of a break going, you know, doing some accounting stuff. Um, she said I should apply it to tableau to bring the kind of the salesmanship that I had as a sales rep, the technical acumen and experience that I had as just a kind of nerd playing around in Excel. Um, but then also my just natural inclination to want to help others and be a a teacher or mentor, um, to be a product consultant in 2009 at Tableau. And so I was the first female product consultant. Actually, I think first female pre-sales person.
0: I think that's right. Um, yeah, yeah. It, it was a,
1: it was a good thing, but also came with its own share of challenges. But that was my journey.
0: Cool. I mean, I like hearing these stories because for me and Wilson, we ended up at Tableau because we didn't have a job and didn't have any money, and someone said, "Hey, why don't you come work at this job? At this job where you work with data, you, you can probably do that, right?" And we We're like, "Yeah, I guess so." Um, but you actually like chose to work at Tableau, which is great, and and we're very happy to work at Tableau as well. But um, <laughs> it, the, our circumstances played into to us moving. Uh, there as much as as much as anything else. What was it that re- that appealed you to you about Tableau when you when you started, or was it really just trusting Sarah?
1: Oh, I didn't trust her. I mean, okay. I, I trust her in other things, but I mean, uh, I, I also knew that she was just going to try to say whatever she could to get me to come work with her, and mm-hmm. and she did did, and she things, but I I wanted to make sure that if I made a move, that it was going to be something that I could have opportunity to grow and to kind of grow with the company and to build. Um, And Sarah introduced me to other people that I could ask some questions and learn more about it. But really, I think the thing that brought me to Tableau at the end of it, I mean, Sarah was telling me, you should download the product. We have this free trial. You should really look at it. She would show it to me. She'd try to sell it to me. Um, It took about six months for me to even think about like getting serious about making a move. But the thing that sold me is I think what a lot of what sells a lot of other people was I, I finally said, all right, Sarah, I will download the trial and I'll take a look at this. And I downloaded Tableau version 5.0. I think, um, late summer, 2009. And I started working with a a little, like just some sample data, some personal data that I had and, I instantly started thinking of all the things I could be doing uh, differently in my current role at Bank of America. And, uh, and it just that it took me about a half an hour before I realized why Sarah was pushing me so much on it. So it was really the product. And I realized, oh, man, this would not only save me so many hours in my current job. I mean, I don't actually have to have my current job and I could go do this. I could go mm. do Tableau. That sounds so much better. And it was. <laughs>
0: uh, well, that's. That's a great story. Um, can I ask you what you did for your demo um, when you interviewed a Tableau? Everyone who interviews a Tableau in any part of the sales team has to do a demonstration of our product uh, as part of their interview process. Did you just do basic Tableau Superstore demo, or did you do something else?
1: Absolutely. Okay. Nope, I did. I did basic. Like So my my demo was with um, Jesse Gebhardt, mm-hmm. who of is course. lovely, um, Jeff Mills who was my first boss and Kelly Wright, who was, you know, VP of sales. And obviously one of the first tableau people and now, um, board member, I. Uh, and it was standard superstore demo. That was pretty much what the exact, um, sample videos were. Okay. I walked through and what I emphasize, what I was told to emphasize was time. ...to value and to express, uh, you know, interest in the potential audience's needs. So I would have to stop and ask a question to make sure that they were still interested. Um, And I, I remember going vividly, there was one moment where I was showing dates... And I was talking about how great dates were and how wonderful Tableau is with dealing with um, time data. And there was a simple question that Kelly asked because she always had this thing in an interview where she would um, – I think this might be just be a Tableau thing too, but they would push and ask questions until you couldn't answer it
0: mm-hmm. just
1: to see how you reacted when you couldn't answer it. Yeah. And I remember – she pushed, him, pushed me and said, well, how would you answer a quarter-over-quarter quarter comparison as opposed to, or like year-over-year year for Q1? You know, and it, it's a simple thing of just taking quarter as a date part and moving it to the front of year. Right. Uh, I didn't know it that at that time, and yet that, you know, it was kind of exposing my my uh, it, lack of experience with the tool. But uh, Kelly asked me how to do it. I said, "I oh, you know what? I'm going to have to get back to you. I'd love to check on that. Um and she said well why don't you just try something and i thought oh okay it can't be that easy but i just tried and i dragged quarter in front of year and i actually stopped at that moment and kind of fell out of my demo character because i just realized how freaking easy that was and all of a sudden i felt more pressure cuz i really wanted the job uh-huh. <laughs> like as, as soon as i <laughs> as soon as i experienced that moment but that was so my demo was Fine. Um, luckily I didn't have a ton of, uh, competition when I applied, uh, I came in at a, at a pretty good time. Um, and I since have proven, I, I hope that I've, that was worth the risk at the time, but my, my demo was pretty vanilla and, and not terribly impactful.
0: Yeah. I, I ask asked because, um, for a couple of reasons, one, because when I did my demo, it was basically Molly's video. I remember like watching your intro training video and like just basically replicating the, that word for word. Um, but I had I had messed around it with was like a
1: good one. By that I'm time, sure it was great. I was on point.
0: Um, I, I had messed around with like creating some sample data uh, to use, and I decided not to kind of at the last minute because I was like, "This is stupid." But I had like made up some data that I thought was kind of funny around like <clears throat> a survey or something like that. I can't remember exactly. Anyway. <clears throat> Um, I, since you said that you like had found all these things that you could be doing differently in your job, I didn't know if you had like gotten creative with the demo. Most people don't. Um, they just do. And I think we even encourage people to just use, like, just do the basic demo. Um, but I, I would have, I mean,
1: honestly, I was working with loan data for reverse mortgages. So it wasn't Mm -hmm. something, so I couldn't download Tableau onto my bank of America. Uh, machine anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, and I wouldn't have been able to get any data extracted out of it. So I, I would have loved to do that. I, I actually did. Um, bef- while I was going through the interview process at Tableau, I did talk to people at bank of America saying, we really should look at this product. It's really amazing. I think it could do wonders for us and what we're doing. Um, and if, and now they're one, one of our ex- biggest customers. You know, like- so thanks. Now they are. Well, I yeah. No, that had nothing to do with me. Um, no, just say, they, it doesn't matter. The...
0: You said something, and then uh, eight years later, they're one of our biggest customers. So I, I don't know what else it could have been.
1: Yeah, that actually that makes sense. Then now, now it comes full circle. Mm-hmm. So I feel like my time there was worthwhile.
0: Um. Yeah. Well, thank you. Thank you for that, and yep. thank you for being part of Tableau and um, well,
1: thanks for wa- watching my my demo and i mean we were at onvia together there's so many of us came from onvia and i think that like in different some of I, I don't think we knew each other real well at that time charles but i mean like there were so many people that were were from this like kind of group of of folks in seattle that wanted to move and do something a little bit different but be part of a sales organization but still kind of like work with a product. Um, uh-huh. so like you were in content at Onvia, which was like a pretty, like the more technical position, but you just didn't do a lot of the interfacing with customers, uh-huh. um, I, I think that like, we all kind of found ourselves at a place where Tableau has this, has this opportunity, especially in pre-sales. That position was so attractive to me because it was a mix of sales and interacting with customers, but also I got the opportunity to like sit with product and be in a technical role. So just like kind of merge these things together in a way that I hadn't known was possible before.
0: Yeah, it was attractive to me because it was paid employment. Um, <laughs> <laughs> okay, uh, so <laughs> that, that's why I, I appreciate your perspective because I, I think it's it's cool to hear like how people actually got started. Um, and then you kind of jokes aside about cat lady thing, you kind of made your made a name for yourself when you got involved in. The training and education elements of our software because at the time we didn't have a training team um we had some online videos that were recorded by various pre-sales people mostly and then in the in the years after you started I, I, eventually i came along and then and then after that we hired this guy named paul sochin to build our training uh and and you ended up writing a lot of that content um can you talk about how you got involved in that
1: yeah, so it was I think two thousand end of two thousand ten, uh, like very end. Paul got hired to be the director of training, and I remember his first day that he got to his desk, like he finally got a laptop and was going to be at a desk. I walked in and um, introduced myself and said, "Hi, Paul. I am um, Molly, and I'd like to be on your team." Um, I'd also like to offer to help you learn the product if you need it. And he was very nice, uh, but politely asked that he have a little bit of time to like set up his email and (laughs) you know, just maybe, maybe go to orientation in some way, uh, such as we had. So, um, I, I knew that I wanted to be like, I knew when he started that I was going to wear him down eventually. Um, but what I did was I, I sort of just pushed and made myself available and I made it very known that I wanted to help in any way I could. And I, so you know, I was there for Paul if he needed if he needed uh, product advice or if he wanted just to have a reference. There were a lot of people there that were you know that were available to him certainly to help. I mean, the whole PC team and, and SC team helped support. I mean, there were a lot of folks, but I just always wanted to make sure that I I was able to learn as much from him while also helping him learn. So I wanted to learn about the instructional design and how he went about developing manuals, um, and I just came from a place of enthusiasm and curiosity. Um, but it it took about six months and I had done some training just with no promise that that would be a role for me. Mm -hmm. I think that was a a big part of it that has made it, it made it like really, it kind of solidified for me that I knew I wanted to be a trainer because I was able to participate by writing content, um, because I knew the product, um, and I had someone to help me with it, I was able to get a glimpse into the training world by shadowing to see all the content over and then ultimately also be able to help deliver some of that to test the content, um, again, like safely without feeling pressure that this was going to be a role until I'd actually already been doing it for a few months. And then it just made sense. Like when when Paul got headcount, it, looking around and saying, who should I hire? It just made sense that I would fit that role because I'd already been doing it.
0: Did you anticipate, like, when you were a PCE before we hired Paul, did you anticipate, like, a training team getting started at some point and you participating in it, or was that, like, was his addition to the company what provoked that for you?
1: No, I I came to Tableau as a different profile uh, for product consulting or for pre-sales. So at the time, you know, Jesse and Wilson were both very – um we're both really, really technical, and particularly Wilson coming with, like, this finance background. Um, I came in with you know, analyst experience, very practical experience. Well, you had finance
0: but, background as well, it sounds like.
1: But from, yeah, from, from an, a, an accounting background, yeah, but I didn't – it was more tactical. Um, I wasn't trying to, like, solve – I actually, I guess I don't know. How, maybe I just put Wilson on this pedestal. But I always thought that he <laughs> He's was not just that special. so much – I just always <laughs> thought he was so much smarter and that I came in as this underdog. Um, but I I but I came in specifically because I had education experience. I'd always done um mentoring or training. I'd I'd done internal training and a lot of remote, so training via WebEx. So it, that was where I had a different skill set than Jesse and Wilson and the other folks in pre-sales mm-hmm. that um was going to move me forward. So I did a lot of the the free videos, you know, the, the recorded videos that you watched. Um, I was the voice of 6.0 introductory training for a long time. And then I uh, waited till version seven and I made Dustin do it. So okay. that was good. Yeah. But I mean, but I was, but I did training much worse you know, it, like, voice, as though. a product consultant. What's
0: that? No, he had much worse voice than you do though. Like he, I mean, you, it, let me just, share with the audience that we've gotten a lot of good feedback on the voice uh behind molly's videos and and that they they really like watching the videos because of her voice and then we threw dustin in there and i think that's probably i mean i haven't looked at the data but i would imagine that the viewership went down after that
1: i actually i, I don't know that the view i mean we, we're getting more customers so i think they were just mm-hmm. forced to suffer um through but uh, maybe the rewatch I rate remember- yeah Right, yeah, the rewatch wait was was, was way down. Um, I do remember hearing or getting um, emails from people that would email in and say, "Who does the voice of the Tableau videos? I'd love to have lunch with her." It was one very specific email that came into support at tableausoftware.com. Um, that was awkward. that's kind of creepy. And yeah, I also uh, I when I when I was doing training. A couple years later, uh, once I did become a trainer, I had someone in a class ask me if I could sign their their training manual because I had been the voice of the of many of the the voice in their head for many on demand videos.
0: I mean, we went from Kermit the Frog slash Mark Reader as the voice of Tableau to Molly. Hello to dustin so i feel like you know if if i i don't criticize tableau very often but if i could criticize him about something i would say we 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 took a step down uh when we went to back to dustin for those videos um sorry for the digression but i just thought that was an interesting point about your time at tableau um and um yeah i don't yeah i think to get back to it
1: Well, it was about like, did I know that I wanted to be a trainer before Paul? Yeah, came so that's, in and actually- that's what I
0: wanted to talk about. Because like one of the things I've learned at Tableau, sorry to interrupt, uh, is um, it seems like it's taught me a lot about kind of how to progress it in someone's career, right? And you, you entered Tableau with this goal in mind of being involved in training and education for software, but that's not what you were hired to do and through the experience you got learning our product you were able to be a good candidate for that job and i think that's like just a really good life lesson that people can have about you know if you if you want to do something there's other, there's ways to get there that aren't just take that job or take a job in that field right away there's lots of different things you can learn that can make you a good candidate for that type of career goal so anyway that's I think yeah. that's a really interesting lesson to learn. And Tableau's taught me a lot about that as well, but it sounds like that's kind of how you approached it, which is a great strategy from a career perspective.
1: Well, and I think, I mean, it, it probably resonates better with people who are obviously younger in their careers. Cause as we were, when we came to Tableau, um, I didn't know that being a trainer was really a, a job. I mean, that's just because my, I mean, my mom's a nurse, my dad, uh, is in construction construction he builds. Like these these are jobs that I knew that were named. um, And I think that's why I decided to study accounting. So like, well, Hmm. my grandpa was an accountant. Sounds like a thing I could do. But my backup was nurse. So I just I wasn't terrible. Maybe I just wasn't that creative. Um, But I didn't really explore a lot of options. I just knew that I liked to do certain things and that I was good at certain things. And um, the great part about you know, having a good network of people that I, that have worked with professionally is that they can help to also identify, um, the skills. So without Sarah being able to look at what I was doing and say, Hey, I think that you should pursue something different that plays off of these things that you really enjoy. I, I never would have really thought about it, but yeah, the the role of trainer was not, it, it wasn't something that existed when I came to, Tableau. It was product consultant, of which I liked training. I liked learning uh, new, uh, new new skill sets and and new technology. Um, I wanted to work for a smaller company that was building, and it and it then allowed me to kind of discover what my next step would be. So at Tableau, I've had uh, over the last um, seven and a half years, I've had a different job probably every every 12 to 18 months in that time period. Hmm. And every time it was a job that I sort of just defined for myself. And in fact, the the last three times I've had to write my own job description. I'm not had to, I've, I've gotten to kind of draft it and propose it essentially because, um, what I found was that there's always something, there's some need that has yet to be identified, um, within education within services. And now my role currently is around um, the services partners and helping them to understand what we can do from an education and from a consultative perspective. So it just it the influence and opportunity gets bigger. Um the roles just kind of I I sort of find them as I see an opportunity to do it.
0: Yeah. I mean to to tie that to sort of the greater point about careers in general and what it takes to kind of pursue a type of job that you want. I think one of the things we like to talk a lot about as a company is the fact that Tableau shows up on lists of, you know, career skills that are increasingly important in the, in business. Um, and um, I think that's, that's probably true generally that people are realizing more and more that being able to work with data and under, get understanding from data, get insights from data is, is a, is a, skill that people need regardless of what their job is. Um, So I, I think in a lot of ways for me, that's been what has kind of carried me into some career growth at Tableau. I would imagine it's the same for you because you know how to use our products and you know how to work with data. So you're able to, you have this great foundation of skill. And then if you want to pivot to something that is... Tangentially related to what you were doing before, you have this great foundation in knowing the company and knowing the product and knowing a lot about how we do education in the same way, you know, if we're talking about Tableau in general, um, I think that's how Tableau applies to a lot of people's careers uh, in that it might not be what a lot of people do for their day job. Their job might not be data analyst, but what they can do with the skill to understand data with Tableau can, can make them better at their job and can can help them get career growth in other ways. Um, so yeah. I think that's a really important cool. topic. And sorry, were you gonna, what were you going to say?
1: No, I was going to say, I mean, I, I so agree with you. Um, I I don't want to say but, but I'm, do, I'm doing it. I so agree okay. with you on everything you said. And and this, and and this yet. is not going to sound discounted. And yet, um, I actually, so th- think about how we positioned Tableau, um, with, you know, it being so easy, simple, beautiful, accessible. I mean, for a while, I actually thought that I had, um, risk (laughs) to, to my career at Tableau because you're right. Like having data skills is incredibly important and being, um, and being proficient at, you know, understanding information and knowing that you can, uh, bring it together and like, and, and validate, it, it's so important. And the analytical skill set is, is such at the forefront and Tableau helps to facilitate that. But, hmm. um, for it just, it, it flashed back to my mindset of being at Tableau and being in pre-sales where we did all this free training and then transitioning over to paid training where, um, you know, our mantra as a company for a long time was Tableau's so simple. It's so easy that that's how we sold. And yet we had a, a bunch of education offerings and training offerings, I, I sometimes felt like I was helping other people to advance in their careers. Um, but in the back of my mind thinking, wow, I mean, like, am I short term in some point? Because at some point Tableau is going to be like, it is pretty easy. So why would I need to be, what path would there be for me in education? Um, which I'm very happy to find out that, you know, uh, regardless of how we may have positioned tableau it is easy and simple and beautiful and intuitive so so um i I, like that's a message that i agree with but uh, luckily there's also room for deeper uh like you know digging deeper and getting more behind the scenes and understanding it from a, a from a like a more technical perspective so I, Mm -hmm. I, my fears were relieved a little bit (laughs) when I realized that there was still a market for a deep dive into, into Tableau.
0: Yeah. And I, I, so I was, I was trying to sort of make a segue and I think you kind of, you, you said some of the things that I was trying to lead to. I'm famous for my segues, Molly. I don't know if you know this because from Wilson, um, because they're always horrible. Um, but I thought um, we were
1: going to see a viz on this. Weren't we going to go back and weren't you going to? Go back and like look at all the segues. He that probably done. has
0: one somewhere that he's been. Yeah, that he hasn't shown me. Um, but the the segue I was I was trying to make was if we if we kind of accept that that's true that this <clears throat> skill as um how to how to analyze data or how to how to get insights from data is part of you know a general business career and not just the job of an analyst. Uh, and Tableau can help people in that way, then I kind of wanted to talk about how that ties to how we train, right? And that's kind of what you were saying in terms of, um, you know, is your career limited in how you train people with Tableau? Because, um, Because if your job is just to train people to use a technology, then there's not a lot of career growth that comes in that, right? It's a, it's a set of skills that you can, you can check the boxes in and, and move on. And it doesn't necessarily, uh, tie to a lot of other different areas or, or careers. But I think what we typically try to do with our training and correct me if I'm wrong, is to kind of teach people how to think like an analyst. So it's less about knowing where to click in the software and more about, you know, what do I do when I'm trying to get the insights out of data and I have a specific question?
1: Yeah, so I, I actually think it's both. Um, it's not just uh, thinking like an analyst, that's definitely a part of it, but um, the, you do, I mean, as part of the education, especially in our more core classes, we are educating where to click, but it's, it's also why it's not just, you know, where do I go in the tool and what am I doing? It's why am I doing this? Um, and I, I think it's really interesting because I've met sev. I mean, many, many, many lifelong trainers. These are people that have done software training, education in some capacity. Maybe they've done consulting as well. Um, uh, oftentimes. If you are a consultant that also does training um that actually helps to build up the skill set it ge- gives your business acumen it allows you to go outside of the course curriculum as a as an instructor so you can talk about things you've actually done in, cons- in as a consultant um but we have people that are lifelong trainers that they uh-huh. they don't move on from it they, they check the boxes and they stay there because they want to continue to be a teacher, and that's that's what fills them. Um, so the career path there would be, you know, it, maybe that's exactly what you want to be doing. And there's there are so many amazing instructors in well at Tableau and also in our partner community that just want to teach, and they do a great job of it. Um, but beyond that, I think the 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 attribute that they have, even if they if, if they've chosen to be trainers. Um, and stay trainers, uh, without thinking of like other professional opportunities, um, the attribute they have that is consistent with all of our best trainers, um, is they bring more to the content. So this gets into what you're saying. Like we do need to explain as instructors where to click and. Sure. And, you know, just where to go in the tool, how you think about the narration as you're dragging and dropping and as you're moving through the software, that narration needs to be really, really clean and concise so people can follow along and hear what, you know, and kind of know what you're doing. Um, but the business use cases and the application is immediately required. Or even, even before, I, I don't necessarily care how in Tableau I would need to build uh, a calculated field. Until you've introduced me with why would I need to know that? Uh And and so it, for us, it's more of a methodology and how we structure the content, how we introduce topics and how we, um, will engage with people. I, one of the, one of the things I love about, you know, how we teach, um, it all started with Paul Sochin and it carries through to this day is we, we try as much as possible to allow other people to give us their use cases, out, I mean, it's outside of Tableau. And so that's, I think, what's unique about our instruction style and, and maybe not fully unique, but it is unique in what I've seen where we put so much emphasis on bringing life outside of the content and bringing use cases and applications um, beyond what you get in the manual and our instructors will sit and talk with people and bring their use cases into the room, um, that make it so that everything kind of hits that point and resonates. So we, that was very different for me because every time I'd done training before it was, here's a book, here's a, here's a set of, you know, table of contents, nearly here's a script. Go ahead and read this script in front of everyone uh, or do it virtually and, and you'll be fine. Um, that's that's just not how Tableau has ever approached educating. It's more of a more of a human element, and it and it's uh, the philosophy is we're never teaching at people or talking at people. It's always a, a conversation. And mm. I if I mm. if I ever teach a class, whether it's two days or four days or two hours, if I haven't learned something new, if I haven't challenged myself to do something different, uh, to whiteboard something different, or to try something new in the software. Or if I haven't learned about how the people in the room at some level are going to be using or need to use Tableau, uh, to me, that's a failure. I don't okay, know if that makes... I mean, but that's kind of like the, the foundation of like w- how important education is and how seriously we take it at Tableau. I get, it's yeah. fun too, though. I <laughs> should probably not be so uh, I'm, serious about it.
0: Yeah. I mean, so... So uh, you bring up kind of an interesting point um, in talking about how we how we approach training. I, I feel like there's sort of a paradox there in that we sell Tableau as this really easy to use application, and um, and then we say, well, why don't you buy some training classes and, and go educate yourself? Um, I what did you, what's your take on that? I mean, why would someone invest? time and money to, to go to training? Because when I started, I mean, it was my job to learn Tableau. And so it, it was, I had lots of incentives to go be an expert on the on the product. But a lot of our customers are going to come to a training class for other reasons. So why should someone do that as opposed to learning in some other way? Or is Tableau really easy enough to use where you don't have to go to training? Um, I, I feel like there's kind of some contradictions in there. What's your take on it?
1: Yeah. So that it's, kind of getting into yeah a little bit about what i mentioned earlier and so let's okay it's this is really important for me because i'm the type of person that will by experimenting and just working with the tool so it's this really it's a weird kind of it's a weird place for me to also be a classroom style instructor to be teaching 20 people at a time through very formulaic process um so i i think like I had to battle with that myself because I, you know, as a product consultant, like you said, we were, we were focused on learning the tool. Our, our job was to sit and learn the tool and be able to help others or to help sell it. And so when I had to think about like conveying the message to other people in how they could learn it, I thought, well, why, why aren't you just spending more time in the product? Why aren't you just playing with it? Why aren't you just experimenting? Mm -hmm. And I, I think that, um, it's not a matter of paying for training or paying for education or or picking one way or another. I think it's just making a decision to be curious and to push like and, and it's it's how you deal with learning any new skill, um, especially a new technology. So we want to make sure that educational offerings are available. And Tableau's so great about that that there's so much education that is is available, but it's also dependent upon, you know, your preference. So if if I need to get away and focus for two full days in which I have nothing to do except for sit and learn Tableau, um, I have no distractions. I'm going to be on a different machine so no one can be emailing me. Um, I, I get approval from my boss that I'm going to be out um, and I can just sit and immerse myself into this product for two days and go to an in-person training uh, it it actually rejuvenates people's excitement if they've been familiar with Tableau before. For people who are new to Tableau, they get like really you know just kind of thrown into the deep end a little bit to be um, you know made aware of what's possible. So the paying to go and experience you know just this immersion and also the benefit you have of connecting with other people in the room especially if it's a public where you get people from all sorts of different companies. It's, I mean, that's a really, it's a special experience to be able to go and like and learn and discover through all this conversation. So for me, I I don't learn really well in a, in a traditional classroom setting. My, uh, my style as a learner and Uh also, you know, it reflects in how I instruct is to, Listen to context. Be told my best, pra- you know, my best practices. Be given kind of a roadmap, but then have lots of opportunity to explore, experiment, and more importantly, to fail. But I, I think the education piece comes into play when you have to deal with some sort of failure or frustration. Are you going to be, uh, are you going to be curious enough to continue on and deal deal with that frustration, or do you need to have a little bit more um, education or or some other context to move past it? So the people who come to, to learn, I, I think a lot of times they, they come for all sorts of different reasons and, and traditional and, and maybe non-traditional reasons. Um, the ones I think that get the best out of the experience um, are the students who feel free to fail in that environment and to challenge themselves, to challenge the instructor, to challenge the curriculum, to challenge the tool and to push beyond it in a safe environment. Um, which you don't often get to spend time doing when you're just, you're, you're trying to, you know, sit at your desk, do your job and learn a new tool. Uh, if you're in a role like we were in as, as a product consultant, where we got to do that in a safe place, that's one thing. But, um, yeah, I think like a lot of times it's just making sure that you can push the boundaries and, and also have a guide to help you get back on track
0: but just to i mean just to sort of play devil's advocate a little bit like it, is it really easy to learn if you have to be a specific type of learner to be able to learn it or you know if if i need to be ultra focused and go to a class to learn this this technology does that fit with our messaging of you know this is the easiest to use product and it's so intuitive and i can anyone can get connected to data and start asking questions
1: is this where we need a disclaimer that Molly Muncie's <clears throat> comments do not represent the? Well, I don't know if this isn't. This
0: is. I hope this is, doesn't sound no. like a sales pitch for training. I don't want it to be that. I just want to have kind of an honest conversation about it. And I think, um, no, it, it, it's. I'm to tell you, I something that I read yesterday. Um, there's this new article in PC magazine that just came out. I don't know if you've heard about this, but they did like a review of Tableau and some of their competitors in terms of data visualization software. And they said Tableau is great, but it has a really high, really steep learning curve and Microsoft's product is really easy to learn. Um, so I don't agree with that, but it is their perspective on, to competitors and leaders in the market, and if they think that, and they've done some sort of diligence to come to that conclusion, like, are we being naive and saying that our product is really easy to use, or are we not acknowledging that in some way? Um, it, it, I, I just want to get your take on that, I guess.
1: Yeah, so I actually have a an analogy that I have thought about for, or that I've said a bunch, and um I I think about it easy to learn, right, or easy to to excel at. Um, pardon the pun, since we're talking about Microsoft. But um, you know, it's uh, the way that I have thought about Tableau. Um, in learning it, is that it is incredibly easy to get to a point of maybe just functional, like you can work in the product. It's really intuitive to a point. Um, so to me, it, it reminds me of when I, uh, was learning to ski, um, like learning to ski for me, it, it, like it, I didn't do a lot of it, but I was able to get up on skis and go down the mountain pretty quickly. I wasn't mm-hmm. awesome, but I, I could get down the mountain safely. And that was, um, that was really, uh, helpful. And I, you know, I, I love that I could just. You know i could have fun without having to spend a ton of time getting super good at it um but if i wanted to be good if i really wanted to get the nuance if i wanted to get leverage everything out of it i should have spent a lot more time well instead i ended up having a bunch of friends who preferred snowboarding and so i learned to snowboard and it was awful um, the learning curve to start was really 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 difficult because it's just a different Kind of body movement and so i would fall down the mountain a lot and um and i was it took me a while to just get mediocre at snowboarding and the way i think about it is tableau seems to be more like skiing it's really easy to get to just this root, like this kind of basic, I can get down the mountain, I can drag and drop, I can connect to my data. I can do a lot. As long as I know these basic principles, I'm pretty much, I'm, I'm not going to hurt myself too badly. Um, as long as I stay on the safe path and I maybe have a, have someone, um, to give me some tips, but like, I can get up and running and do maybe, you know, 50% of what I need to do with Tableau pretty, pretty quick, pretty quickly. Um, but if I want to get really good and dive deep into all the functionality and all the possibilities, because there's so much flexibility in what Tableau has to offer, and there's so many different ways that you can take it, um, you need to make sure that you dedicate some time and drill in. So that's that's kind of the perfecting piece. <laughs> Whereas I feel like a lot of other um, more difficult to learn or diff- more uh, inaccessible technologies are going to have that steep snowboarding learning curve where you're going to fall down the mountain and... and you know, have a little bit more, have more bruises to start, but then once you kind of get the paradigm shift and you get that change, it it might be a little bit easier. Um, so maybe this is it for me, that was how I equated it because Tableau was so easy for me to learn just by watching uh, the demos and and watching the videos. And I I could do a lot really, really, really quickly, but it took me a long time to get the point of, what I would call true proficiency, which Mark Reader may even, may, 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 even like, I mean, think that I, I took even longer th- for that because there's so much depth there.
0: Mm-hmm. Um, okay. I hope, um, I hope snowboarders don't make up a decent segment of our audience. Um, it, l- let me ask you something else. C- <laughs> 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 no, I think it's a good analogy. Um, I, I, Let me ask you something else. Um, The, um, what was I going to say? Oh, um, how often when you're training, do you find that you have to um, reset expectations with someone about what they're there to learn or kind of reposition what Tableau is for?
1: Uh, So every time that I taught, I usually had, at some point someone who would ask or or and just say well hold on i thought that this tool was more um i i I thought that this was more for just creating simple visualizations um Mm -hmm. or like, like someone you know false expectations are always real uh no matter what so that that's a very very common case i i think the the biggest challenge was when someone would come to training feeling like they didn't need to be there because they were told that tableau was really easy but yet we were investing in in training um so they would come and spend time and think well this is going to be boring i'm going to already know all this stuff i've already watched the videos and so the challenge for me as an instructor was to think beyond their you know what they had maybe done and to challenge them to do more so i think like that's something we we're always concerned with in education is um being in line with the message that Tableau is an incredibly intuitive tool and, we, and, we, and making sure that we know that it is intuitive, but sometimes people's intuitions are different. And so through education, through the training curriculum, we help to kind of hone the, the craft and the experience. Um, but mm-hmm. yeah, the expectations of people coming in where a sales rep said, this is so easy. Even I can do it because I'm a sales rep. As first off, I think that diminishes the skill set of our sales reps because they, we have some really great, incredibly Don't smart, people that are okay. Sorry,
0: <laughs> I'm just kidding. Um, yeah. they yeah.
1: They, they keep the lights on, right? Um, Literally. <laughs> but uh, you know, it's like. But I think that you know that was always something that was really interesting. Of just like, oh no, it's so easy. Anyone could do it. Well, I had people come to training who were really frustrated because they felt stupid because their sales rep or someone had told them Tableau is so easy. And they thought, well, if it's so easy, why am I not getting it? And so Mm -hmm. sometimes it got even to more of a kind of like a coaching perspective of me saying, no, you know what, it's okay that you don't get it right away. Yes, it's easy to a point and and it's all right to struggle. It's okay to hit these challenges. And let me just help to get you through that. So there's a danger in saying something so easy, because it may not be easy for everyone.
0: Right? Um, is that like the, the main misconception people have is the creating simple visualizations, like it's, a, it's, it's for, different stuff than that, or are there other types of things that people will come in with the perception of that you'll have to correct, or that you had to correct when you were doing that?
1: Well, yeah, I mean, I think, first off, that a lot of people think that Tableau is pronounced Tableau. Okay. That was one. And it's
0: not just people named Wilson.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Um, but I, I think, uh, the expectations of Tableau being much more I, I think ready, before we had actually this is this is probably different because when I was doing a lot of training, it was when we didn't have as many capabilities <laughs> within the product. Um, mm-hmm. But I, I think what's still true today is the expectation that Tableau should be able to do so much more with your data and fix your data. And if your data is wrong or slow, that it's in some way something that Tableau should be responsible for. I, I think that's a that's been a really common challenge that isn't just true for education, but you know, it's true for just anyone who's coming to evaluate the product. But in, in training, it was really hard because we had to like set that, you know, okay, this is why, um, this is different and Tableau is communicating with your data, but we're not going to write back and make changes. But along that same line, I think one of the, one of the things I loved was when I would have, um, people in the room that were really, really familiar with database technology and then those that were less familiar that were more on the kind of analyst perspective, business user perspective in the same room because the expectations that each group had were going to be very different and have a lot of times it's best just to kind of get that out and have them speak to each other because often you can you can sort of pair these things together and say, okay, well, from there's a lot more depth that goes into making sure that data quality is there and accessibility and security that the business user doesn't understand. And there's a lot more that goes into, um, you know, asking uh, the right question and picking the right visualization and bringing things together in the right format that the, you know, the person who is more, uh, like in, into the database technology that they wouldn't understand. So the expectations are different for both groups, but promoting a discussion, to both through an educational environment or a workshop environment um, ultimately helps everybody learn and find a good path forward.
0: Did you feel like uh, you were able to nurture those types of conversations in a training classroom?
1: Uh, Yeah, I think it was it was difficult sometimes because there were things that we would show that would challenge um, either group so you know for example if we started talking about how extracts can be built someone who had spent a lot of time and effort in developing a very secure uh well indexed database uh that then they they're allowing people to log into to query and we say okay great let's immediately extract everything into a file uh, that was a little bit sometimes of a a challenge and so what we did was we talked through why would you want to do that when should you do that and um and and so you have to be careful in making sure that you're positioning the right story for both parties Mm -hmm. I but that's where kind of that's where kind of being a consultative insurer helps because I'm not there dictating, here's how things work, and then leaving it, it's more, okay, let's talk about your situation and find out what's appropriate. And so that actually allowed people to feel more comfortable where they could explore their use case. Uh, and I, so I think any any time that you have opportunity to do that in, in an environment where you can, like, ask about different methods of doing something through training, that's kind of the biggest benefit is just being able to bring your use case, share it and see how other people have maybe tried it and been successful or, or not. Uh, But yeah, I was able to bring a lot of, um, a lot of discussion through, through that. Actually, um, you know, one of my, one of my favorite trainings that I ever did was this uh, it was a private engagement in which everyone there was uh, a business user and they brought in one person who was responsible for uh, essentially their server administration, server content, but he he was a, a, a data quality engineer, but then got kind of tasked to do this other piece. And um, what I loved about it was that it, he had no real tableau to him was not something that was accessible it wasn't something he had to care about he only cared about like how to deal with all the data back end stuff so every question he had was around all those all that more technical piece but here i am talking to all these people about how to just drag and drop and create charts and and to do calculations in the ui so Mm -hmm. um that was a big challenge but what what we did was, you know, you, you kind of like separate the group a little bit and say, all right, I'm going to talk to you offline about these other pieces. I'm going to challenge everyone else, but bringing him into the fold so that when we hit a topic that was, uh, around like quality of data and how you'd want to design something so it would be best built for performance or how you might want to secure something, that was something where we could bring everybody in together and, and learn from each, each person's need of what they need to do not just with Tableau, but just with data, like what do you need to do and what's the purpose of, of your role and, and how are you supposed to be, um, using this, this product and then being able to match everything up that way, Mm -hmm. which our consulting, you know, it's not just through training, right? I mean, we have our pre-sales people and and our post-sales, our professional services group and consulting does a lot of this as well.
0: Right. Yeah. I mean, one of the things that I've always, um, been. Um, impressed with and also kind of afraid about when it comes to both our training and professional services uh, areas of the business is for me as someone who works as part of the sales team and goes in and helps a customer do a demo or helps with an evaluation is there's a point where I can kind of say... Okay, you're, I've impressed you. I can tell you that we can do all these things, but now you get to go do it and I don't have to be involved anymore. Right. Um, and it seems like. It seems like you actually, in, in training and also, yeah, for professional services as well, something that Wilson did for a long time, you end up in these situations where you actually have to solve a problem for someone and get into the practical like logistics of what is the data going to look like or how are we going to build this thing in your environment and make it perform well and things like that. How often does that become a part of a trainer's job versus something that you say, okay, go home and, and figure it out?
1: Oh, I, I mean, I think... It, so it was really, really, really frequent. I mean, there, there are a lot of times where people would say, I will not move on from this until you've answered this question. And okay. sometimes it was being stubborn. Sometimes it was, you know, needing to prove a point, but sometimes it was just, you, as a, as a student, when you're sitting there trying to learn something new, your mind just blocks until you can make this connection. And so you, you, if you try to move on from it, you just can't switch gears that way. So yeah, a lot of times it'd be, um. A little bit of a challenge. Prove it that Tableau will do this and will work for me before we'll will invest. Give me some more context, and um, and I think there there's actually this interesting thing. So it's it's funny that you say you get from a pre-sales perspective to promote like this vision of the future, and then you know, and, and with a lot of like education, a lot of thought mm-hmm. in there, but you know, you get to promote it and then they buy and then you go away. And then training, I also felt the same way though, because I would come after that and I'd have to deal with my own challenges of expectations being set up that this is going to be easy or that this is going to be simpler, or that things are going to be more, your data will be more ready and, and structured and accessible um, than it is today. So I would come in and do training, but then again, I would be there for two to four days and then I would leave, um, and then the person that would come in after that is a consultant, um, either from Tableau or from a partner, that actually is going to sit and help and 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 implement, and um, you know a lot of times. So I had to be conscious of how I was setting them up for success during training, because if I was teaching them a bunch of stuff that um, that they were ultimately not either equipped to do or able to do, um, or that a uh, that a partner or consultant wasn't able to implement then that was a problem as well so I think like what we've done uh is from an education perspective focused a lot on making sure that we're super aligned with the messaging um that we have for sales and then also the the whole services relationship of you know you training to consulting to what we have in the partner community, like we want to make sure that education is a nice transition into enablement that allows, you know, you to explore all the resources, whether they're paid, free partner community or, or just our general customer community. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's really challenging because you, as you kind of move along and and learn more about Tableau, you want to make sure that there's a little bit of consistency, um, that helps to reduce frustration.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, I would never, you know, lie about our capabilities. But if you get into a situation where someone's asking you, "Can I do this thing?" and I know that we can, but it's not easy, I don't have to show them how to do it, right? Um, and yeah. that's that's a safety net for me. It's also like I think a kind of a little bit of insecurity uh, and a source of insecurity for people in pre sales sometimes because we we don't know where that goes. You lose sight of it at some point. So it's really yeah.
1: challenging with Tableau too, because you can do so much so quickly. So from an, as a teacher, you know, teaching this product where it's so flexible and I'm teaching, Oh, it's okay for you to explore. If someone asked me to do something and I didn't show bravery by trying it in front of the room, mm-hmm. I, I remember somebody asked me, um, I was at a. a well-established, uh, academic institution teaching a two day class. And, and there was a, there were two people in the room that were from a more kind of financial group and they asked for donut charts. (laughs) And this was. I mean, I think it's a little bit easier now, but the, you know, donut charts, how do I do a donut chart in Tableau? And I went through all of the reasons why donut charts wouldn't be good. And they went through all the reasons why they didn't care. And I said, okay, great. And they would not move on until I built them a donut chart. And, um, and I had been talking about how Tableau it's okay to make mistakes. It's okay to,
0: to -hmm. experiment.
1: And so I had to kind of, I had to stand up. And I think that as a pre-sales person or just as anyone who's showing Tableau, um, and how flexible it is. It is a little scary to show a tool that can be so flexible that people say, "Well, what? Try this. Try this," and you don't know what's going to happen. Um, but I mean, I, I built that donut chart. I think it took me about nice. forty five seconds, and I built a <laughs> rudimentary one, and then I spent another forty five minutes over lunch making it perfect and showing them how beautiful it was, formatted the tooltips and all that. Um, but you know, like that that was the that was something that was like, okay, I'm gonna I'll get it, I'll check the box and now we can move on.
0: So that's a great feeling with Tableau when you can figure something like that out because you know enough of the pieces that you can kind of put it together. Um, I I really like those moments. You know what other moments I like though, and this is more of like a sales perspective, is when you're with a customer and you've like built so much trust because you've shown all these great things that they can ask a question and you're like, yeah. And they're like, okay, And you don't have to do anything. Uh, that's also great. Um, <laughs>
1: <laughs> I, love, I love that. I love that no one can see that we're, we have our, our video on and we're both smiling and nodding, just like yep.
0: Because mm-hmm. yeah. that's what we do. You, I hope uh, everyone
1: out there could feel the the slight nods. That well, were I think there. the
0: I think the moment of silence was illustrative of what we were doing with our heads as well. Uh, hopefully, I just want to make that's sure. Weird yeah. way of saying that. Um, okay. Um, so, but I do like
1: that as well. I mean, when you've gotten to the point where not only have you, you've addressed the questions you've, but, but also you've proven to be a trustworthy resource. I think that's important. Um, but like, I think that what's also interesting about a lot of our folks at Tableau is that we actually do care. I don't want to sell my, I don't want to sell Tableau to people who aren't going to need it or Mm -hmm. who can't use it, you know, I, I just, I, I don't have any room to buy things that I don't need, you know, and and so I feel that, um, I feel that there's an opportunity there just to make sure that like, we're setting people up and, and we actually do care about people making sure that they are making the right decision for themselves and are using it or using Tableau or whatever they're using, they're, they're doing what's right for them.
0: Yeah. Um, I guess that's more of a, a side about Unless what you're like forced to cell Tableau than it is about you know right. what it's like to, to learn it. But I do think it's pretty interesting when we're in those situations. Well, it what, does kind of speak to... Yep, go ahead.
1: Well, no, I'm just going to say, but from a teaching perspective, mm-hmm. if I'm teaching and there are people who are just absolutely resistant, um, I mean, I've, I've had people just from a, a specific topic perspective that said, I don't care about this and, I, and leave the room during a section or come back, or I've had people say... I don't. I don't actually want to learn this tool. I'm just here because someone's making me be here. Um, I'm going to try my best. I'm going to try to overcome and, and challenge them to think differently. But also, um, I'm not going to force it. If it makes sense for, if we talk about what they're doing and what their use case is, and if I, if I can't make a connection there, like I don't want to. I don't want to be teaching uh, that person, ignoring the fact that this may not connect. I'm going to address it head on and say, all right, this may not be totally applicable, but let's talk about it. Let's have fun with it. Let's have an opportunity to just experiment with something different and see if anything sparks out of that. And once you reduce the pressure, um, I saying, Hey, it's okay. If you, if you don't understand everything about the tool or if you don't understand everything about it, but all I want you to do is, is take an, an opportunity to explore and allow yourself to, um, you know, to be open, Mm -hmm. then that's usually what will be most successful. But yeah, it's really dependent on people's uh, willingness too.
0: Right. Um, So I guess the last thing I want to talk about is, you know, we've been talking about this concept of learning Tableau and what it's like to learn Tableau and what it's like to teach people to learn Tableau. But I think, you know, our philosophy as a company, since I've started, and probably since since the company was founded, <clears throat> was that if we can get enough people asking questions of data, we can kind of turn the concept of Tableau into a movement and have there, there be enough people making decisions based on facts within their organization that um, that it becomes sort of the language of how people work with data, um, and I think. Training plays a really big role in that because it's so important to actually get people to use the products. But what you're doing now it, it, with respect to education, I think plays an even bigger role in how that scales. So could you talk a little bit about what your what your job is now and, and how that relates to the education component in Tableau? Yeah,
1: so my role now, I'm actually working with partners, services partners who do consulting education and I manage the program that allows people to come into our services partnership and be able to either uh, be a delivery partner where they can deliver Tableau branded training or services, uh, where they can get access to resources to be able to up level their individual consultants and trainers. Uh, mm-hmm. Also, you know, we want to make sure that we have education everywhere. So we've got a, an authorized training center program that we are just, I mean, we've just been launching over the last uh, couple quarters and are going to expand where we're going to take Tableau education and make that available in predominantly markets where we can't currently uh, delivered directly, but that, so yeah, my, my role is to help uh, facilitate the program. I work with a lot of people. Um, you know, I borrow a lot of resources internally from, from different groups within Tableau. Um, and I'm, I'm sort of, a a program manager that also is a relationship owner for the services side for the partner business.
0: Well, I would imagine that, um, your experience both developing and delivering uh, tableau's training offerings has a pretty big influence in how you work with these partners that are that are then going to go out and help us deliver services and training to our customers um, does that how do you find that influences your relationship with these these partners and are there certain tendencies they have toward Working with Tableau, that we have to either correct or that maybe is different from how you think about things?
1: You know, it's, I've been really excited when I, I mean, just the more every partner that I've talked to, I mean, there's some sort of enthusiasm and excitement around Tableau. So I think I've just been. I'm I'm excited because it, it just there's so much that um, people are doing beyond what um, what Tableau services are doing. I mean, because we're focused on the tool, and there's so much out there that can be adapted and um, and expanded upon. So I I also feel really lucky because when I talk to partners uh, about what they've you know what their beliefs are, what their core values are, they often align with Tableau's core values. So my favorite conversations are when I've talked to, um, not necessarily the, the CEO of a, uh, of a consultancy and, and I'm talking more about like the middle-sized, maybe small to mid-sized, um, consultancies that are our delivery partners. Um, I do, I, I mean, I, not to diminish that role or the, or you know a higher up person but i also really like it when i get to talk to someone who's more of a player coach role where they get into the product they actually do consulting they do training themselves but they're also you know kind of assigned to be a point of contact to help develop what this partner relationship will look like that is really uh, invigorating for me because i've i've lived that where you know now i'm a program owner but i come from this place of passion Around um, the technology part of it, and how we can help people, and you know, drive adoption, and make sure that we're, we're messaging correctly, but also you know, from a technical perspective, drilling in and, and getting a chance to nerd out on, on the product itself. So I think um, a lot of our partners that uh, really get it have at all levels within their organization people that are bought in to Tableau and maybe, and that, that appreciate the technology. And so our, you know, I think that for me has been wonderful and just figuring out that like the excitement about Tableau as a product is not limited to internal, it's not limited to a small customer, you know, or to or large customer base. It's also completely rampant in our partner community and they're helping to continue the enthusiasm. Um, so that's, I mean, the conversations I have are typically around, what do they do well? What do mm-hmm. partners do well, and what do they want to be doing for the greater community?
0: So, most are most of them um, are, are most of them interested in specializing in a certain area, a certain technology, or a certain type of business. Is that is that the angle that they take toward partnering with Tableau, uh,
1: rather than no, just I being kind of
0: generalists I, that know Tableau well?
1: There's definitely both. Um, so some partners are happy to be tableau focused um, we're a tableau shop and we do tableau dashboards and report building and we will come in and help you build those tableau um, that that tableau functionality um, but there are other partners that specifically want to take tableau I mean our OEM partners who want to take Tableau and create a, a completely different product that they host, but also may want to provide some sort of training or consulting around that. Um, there's partners who want to be focused completely on a vertical that want to make sure that they're differentiated from Tableau services. So I, you know, as, as often as I'm trying to bring partners in our services partner uh, community, where they're able to deliver on behalf of Tableau, and we and we can subcontract or we can you know co-deliver and we can support each other. Um, oftentimes, I'm also ant- doing kind of an anti-sell, where I'm telling the partner it, this actually doesn't make much sense for you because the offering that you have is so unique that uh, around Tableau that you should really promote that brand. And, um, but there's a place for it in our partner community. So our services partners that I helped manage are only a very small subset mm-hmm. of the much larger partner community. Um, and there's such great information out there that, it, that is so, um, you know, like is so robust. Uh, but from a services program perspective, my job is to also make sure to, to find the people that make sense. Uh, within that program, and then also help to, uh, you know, qualify and support people that do great work, but that just may not fall under the appropriate, you know, kind of tableau specific purview.
0: What do the services partners get the most excited about when we release new features? Um, or is there a certain area or branch where they um, get really fired up?
1: Yeah. I, so my favorite thing about when new features are released. I love to, like, if there's ever a, a, like, at conference when they announce it or, or if it's at a internal, I always want to watch the people that are either responsible for developing, writing the content or, like, the, the training curriculum, or I want to watch the people who have to teach it. Um, the consultants I, I so I feel like with with partners um they're always excited there's a, there's always something new and with consultants, I feel like you know there's a different mentality of like, oh, this will make my life easier, this is great, and I can help make customers' lives better. this is awesome um from a training perspective or from a documentation perspective, I feel like the a lot of times the the people that are in most shock are the curriculum writers and the trainers and the partners that um you know are excited but maybe have to like now redo all of their documentation and all of their training materials and so what i notice about services partners that are also doing education delivery Uh um now that we've switched to a cadence of updating our product much more frequently and we're going to continue to do so uh keeping up with curriculum is a real real challenge so seeing i mean this is probably not exactly what you're talking about but just seeing new features uh, for those partners where they know that they can use our curriculum and, um, and not have to rewrite everything, uh, because of just how fast we're innovating on the product. Uh, they they're like, yep, great. Awesome. I'm excited again. Cause they, they're not having to like rebuild everything. <laughs> um, but if you're, if you're talking about specific opportunities within the product, like features that they're excited about, um, you know, I think it's anytime that you make from a services partner perspective, anything, anytime you make things that are supposed to be intuitive easier. Okay. Is a theme. Yeah, because it just it just means that you can focus on the deeper levels. So reducing any sort of UX frustration so that you can actually focus on the why is going to be important. And and that also helps, you know, just the the curriculum stand out too. We don't have to do as much context as much documentation explaining why something is there. We can just say, "Hey, let's or or like you know, how to do something. It's, it's, why is it important to you?
0: Is there anything else you wanted to, uh, to mention before we wrap up?
1: Uh, no, but I, well, yes. Cause I said, no, but, no um, doubt. yes. Okay. I just want to thank you, Charles Schaefer for allowing me to participate. I'm obviously not practiced. This is first podcast. For you did me, great. So this was
0: this was wonderful. Uh, I really appreciate you being on the podcast. I think you had a lot of great things to share. Um, we don't always get the perspective of someone from the training organization, obviously, which is great. Also, you're just a great person to talk to. So I'm really glad you're here. Um, and. If there's anything else, I when we did this, so we'd done this recording a couple times and the first time we did it and it was great and Wilson was here and then the recording kind of got messed up a little bit. But on that recording, uh, Molly brought some corrections from Dustin's podcast that he did where he talked about some of the kind of fun stories from the history of Tableau. I don't know if you want to share those right now, Molly, but this is a good opportunity if you want to to share some of that, um, some of those corrections so that, you know, the people that listen to the many people that listen to our podcast can be informed about some of the things that Dustin got wrong.
1: Well, just because you said that I could correct someone, I will absolutely indulge that and go through that again. Um, Yeah. So the unfortunate part about the previous one was that there was, a uh, some audio issue, but this way I get to actually go through and do my error corrections. Um, probably a little bit, well, a little bit less, uh, I don't want to say I wasn't that judgmental. I just want to make sure that there were just a couple things that were, that were fixed. Um, so my fact checking for Dustin Smith's, uh, podcast was, um, uh, Around, so first off, you know, he mentioned Null Island and Null Island was this awesome joke and Mm -hmm. wasn't that really fun. Um, so the email that came in from a travel agent was a real thing. And I think that he was not quite sure about that. Um, but you know, one of the things was that uh, the travel agent said that they'd like to provide, you know, access to Null Island and it was, and Steve Pellegrin responded. Back that, of course, you know we'd love for you to come visit. You can um, travel here by freight only mm-hmm. uh, on Tuesdays and Thursdays, and after that point, it was uh, determined that you know the, the travel agent finally realized that this was false. But there were multiple emails exchanged around that. Um, but the No Island was was good, and Dustin you know represented it well. But there were just some some bits of like point that he was not cons- not sure about. But you know just to validate the travel agent. Yeah, Dustin has a
0: tendency for talking about things that he doesn't actually know anything about. So I, that's why it's important to have someone who actually was there and knows the story um, to, to come in and, and, and set the record straight. So I appreciate that.
1: Thanks. Well, so here's <laughs> another one where I'm going to set the record straight. Um, the happy hour that we were doing all the time as, as product consultants. Now, first off, the uh, noise gambler, Which is a Mm -hmm. bingo roller. Roller um, was originally going to be a dartboard because I told Wilson. Okay, so the story from
0: the podcast with Dustin was we had this bingo cage and it rolled and there were balls inside that had a number and the number would correspond to a place for happy hour. And the story Dustin and I told was that uh, it was called Noise Gambler because it's it's a gambling machine and it was noisy. So obviously that's where the name came from, right?
1: no that is incorrect oh okay. so right i mean it's it's not so
0: but i'm right that it was noisy
1: it was noisy and that is that is why we called it noise gambler but actually the phrase noise gambler comes from a post that was put onto our support forums um that was a basically spam in 2000 and probably 10 um, that, uh, came through and said it was, there's a whole bunch of garbage in that, in that email or, or post. Um, but what they said at one point very specifically is your product is noise gambler and know that meant. And so, uh, when Wilson and I decided that we wanted to do uh, regular happy hour events and I suggested, let's get a dartboard that we would throw darts at, mm-hmm. um, to determine. Where we would go to happy hour, he saw this ball cage machine, or ball cage, and we decided that that should obviously be the Noise Gambler. Okay. Because we would say, your product is Noise Gambler. That was a phrase that was said before the Noise Gambler actually arrived.
0: Just for the record, I've never heard anyone say that. So I don't know if this is made up or not, but I'm going to trust that Molly maybe said this at some point in the year and a half before I joined the company that she was there.
1: That's I mean, that's I don't I don't have any
0: evidence for it other than this conversation
1: I think it's fair. Well, but you do have evidence on the next one. So um, When we were talking about competing for uh, happy hour rights, where you got we would do these uh, competitions to make sure that whoever prevailed would have the opportunity to then randomly spin the ball cage noise gambler uh, that would spit out whatever place we were going to go Mm-hmm. The happy hour. Now, first off, Dustin, was, you guys were absolutely right. I mean, every time that we did this, we'd go through this whole exercise. There'd be all this competition, and then at the end of it, Scott would be like, ah, "I don't want to go there. Let's go to Browers." And we would always go to Browers. That's a good
0: Scott impression, um, by the way. Spot on. It sounded exactly like him. I thought it was in the room for a second. Anyway,
1: well, uh, Scott's future. Like, and here's the tale of the tale. <laughs> <laughs> Scott Wasserman, Time to go to beers. Anyway, what was the so- guy's name
0: uh, Greg Stink? On uh Saturday Night Live, the uh, yeah. Scott. That's basically Scott I If you can em- envision um uh, a
1: Greg Stink combined with uh Dana White. Dana White from maybe from MMA From UFC. Yeah. yeah okay, yeah. cool. Um but so we had this whole uh competition thing and we would do stuff like I mean, every every once in a while, we, we wouldn't get that creative. Like I would just have a deck of cards and I would just go around and be like, hey, draw the highest card. And whoever has the highest card gets to um, gets to spin the ball cage or like all these dice. But it wasn't fair because we had a, a co-worker named Dan Danton who perfected dice rolling. He actually practiced to cheat at dice rolling. Um, we would play rock, paper, scissors or tic-tac-toe. But the one that Dustin said was the paper airplane one where, yes, we did, in fact, choose a paper airplane contest and um, we all spent a lot of time researching paper airplanes. Um, I, I, He said that I won because I crumpled it up into a ball and threw it. Uh, I did not win because of that. You guys did not let me win because of it. I we didn't got let angry you win. because I'd spent a lot of time Working on my paper airplane, and it failed. So I crunched up into a ball and threw it.
0: And you so didn't it wasn't win, like it, or but, did you?
1: Oh no! Oh no! Who did? I them? was throwing a tantrum. Yeah, but also another point was the Papa Shot, where Scott or uh, it was Dustin said Scott had won at Papa Shot. Uh, when we did the Papa Shot horse game, we invited Sarah Bedwell. Bring it back. To Sarah, and she came and did Papa shot, and she won, and she chose the happier location, and then didn't show up. So Scott got mad, and we I think we moved from like Red Door, which she had chosen, to Browers, because Scott's like, well, she's not here, so we're going to Browers.
0: Do you think maybe later she just showed up her Red Door and was like, where is everybody? I thought everyone was going to be here. She probably did.
1: No, I don't right. think that she went.
0: She's going to listen to this podcast and call you and be like, "Molly, I'm still at Red Door. I've been there for three years, and uh, yeah. and I'm still waiting for a Happy Hour to start."
1: That's actually why I wanted to say that right now because I just wanted to reconnect with her and I don't know how you know I'm, I'm not in Seattle anymore, so okay. making it to Red Door is difficult. Um, but also, I wanted to confirm that uh, the fan salesperson uh where dustin said that he thought that it might have been him that told kelly wright about the fantasy salesperson i just wanted to confirm it definitely for everyone that it definitely was him and he was proud of it too but no one was no one else was happy about it but that if dustin ever has
0: some information people are going to hear the information Let's just say it that way. So there was no, there's no question in my mind that Dustin was the one that told Kelly about it, and Kelly thought it was cool. It wasn't like, it wasn't like secret information that we were trying to hide from anyone. But Dustin, just don't, don't act like you, you don't like doing this. Okay, like we all know, we all know, like you like sharing information with people. We, you, you like telling people secrets. So let's, let's just all be honest about that.
1: Yeah, and and that's the thing. That's why we love him. You know because. First well, off, we get to hear all the love. secrets. No, we get to hear all the secrets. It's great. <laughs> <laughs> just, you, just, you just sit back and listen. It's great. Um, but yeah, that was uh, where Kelly walked by and said, what is this? And he's like, well, let me show you. It's like, no, you just. It, it was He fine. probably
0: had a fully prepared PowerPoint presentation on the Fantasy Sales League that he was like, well, Kelly, I'm glad you asked. Why don't you sit down? Right.
1: Yeah. And he had a whole community thread dedicated to it.
0: Probably.
1: Um, there were a lot of visas on Tableau Digital.
0: Yep, it was all Tableau Digital. Uh, yeah. You could, what was it? You could see the underlying data. That was like the big. Yep. You could, you could control whether someone saw the underlying data. Um, yep,
1: that was great. Yep, that was great. Um, and I, I think that was probably it. I mean, there's probably other things that were wrong that could stand to be corrected. But there's probably I,
0: other things Dustin been, has been wrong about yeah I, I would agree so um yeah you may not know him right now but think about it for next time and we can call out Dustin oh I will you know
1: I, I, con- I constantly am thinking about what did Dustin do wrong so that I can correct it
0: I uh, half-assed started a tumblr uh Called Dustin's email responses. I don't know if I ever told anyone about this. I think I told Wilson about it. Where it was just responses Dustin had sent to emails, and it was <laughs> because he he would send stuff like, um, like a, a weird picture or um, like he would just say like "shake my head or like something really stupid to like a very official email. Um, let me see if it's still on there. Uh, I think okay. I only ended up putting on like three or four posts. Um, but now it's not there anymore. Um, but anyway, yeah, uh, that was, it. he did enough. Oh yeah, here it is. Um, I'll send you the link Molly. Maybe I'll put it in the uh, blog. There's like literally four, uh, posts, but they're, they're all very funny. So, um, I'll make sure people get a chance to see that as well. Anyway, um, thanks for being than here, Molly. Sharing um, that,
1: then you can share the video of me talking about TC 2012 or 13, whatever year that was.
0: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Okay. Well, mm-hmm. thank you for permission, um, and thank you for being here. And you can hear Molly's voice in addition to uh, on that video, which I'm going to post, and this podcast in the song. Uh, that starts off our podcast from the Dragged and Dropped band. Um, She's one of the singers um, in the Coffee Chain song, which maybe we'll, at a later date, go into detail about the Coffee Chain song. Um, Anyway, uh, thank you for being on the podcast.